Well, it's indeed my pleasure to be here again, and I've enjoyed the times uh, that I've been able to be with you in the past uh, year or so. Uh, I have many happy memories of, of being here, but I especially told you the first time I was here, my memory of being happy goes all the way back to 1968. And uh, the funny incident that happens there, and I'm not going to repeat it then, when I walked in that door and saw a girl I was trying to hide from here, <laughs> uh, and I married her later, but anyway, that's a story I told you then. I'm not going to repeat it now. Uh, the Lord took care of me. Uh, please turn with me, and I'm so happy about your new pastor. Uh, and I shall be praying. I would love to be here next Sunday night, but I'm preaching the installation service of the new pastor in Louisville next Sunday night. So uh, I don't think I can be the same place at five o'clock. Uh, uh, but uh, anyway, turn with me now to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. And we have a short scripture reading, but I'm going to use a lot of different references in this sermon. So. Uh, Keep your Bible close by because we're going to look at a lot of verses as we go through this. Matthew chapter 6 beginning at verse 19. And the title of the sermon, as you, as you, of course, as you read, as you have read, is Where Do You Bank? Hear now God's word. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now I want to begin today by just asking a simple question. If someone were to come into your house today, and uh, they were a person who was colorblind. And they started criticizing the color scheme of your house, the painting, the color, the way you've got it decorated. Uh, it would be rude, but it wouldn't really bother you because you'd know they wouldn't know what they were talking about because they were colorblind. Okay, if someone whom we know is tone deaf critiques your singing, um, that wouldn't really bother you either because there's no merit because they don't really know what sound good sounds are like. And if this were just Wayne, me, uh, speaking to you today, uh, the words of the text and opening up what they really mean, you wouldn't have to consider it too seriously because I am a sinner just like you are. But the one who is speaking to you today in the scripture, in a very pungent text, knows you, knows me, knows all of us better than we know ourselves. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what your desires are, what your emotions are, what your attitudes have been. And so I want us to think about this first category that he mentions here. Uh, about laying up treasures. What does it mean to lay up treasures on earth? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And maybe someday, a long time in the future, uh, I'll come back and talk to you about what it means to lay up treasures in heaven. But let's begin by t thinking about what it means to lay up treasures on earth. And the first thing I want to say is a, man, a person, a human being who is laying up treasures on earth is a person being whose thoughts, what goes on in his mind, 
are completely taken up with the world in which we live, completely, all the time. I want you to look with me at, at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, this is verse 16 of Luke 12. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plenty, plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have ample goods lay up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And then look at what verse 20 says. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up for treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Christ is saying that a person who's laying up treasures on earth but poor in respect to God and bankrupt before God is a fool, before for the Lord is a fool. Okay, let me just make this very practical for you. What do you think about when you're by yourself? Nobody else is around. Nothing's going on to interfere. What do you think about? When you're alone, do you just always think about yourself? You think about money? Think about your house? Think about popularity, how well people know you, what they think about you. Think about cars. Oh, how about this one? You think about sports and your favorite team. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with thinking about any of those things. They may be very proper for you to think about. But the question is, what do you think about a whole lot? Most of the time, when nothing else is bothering you, where does your mind go? Remember Lot's wife. Her feet were going in the right direction, but her heart and mind were still in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God knew her heart, and it evidenced itself, and His wrath evidenced itself. Where do our thoughts go when no one else is around? Again, I'm not saying that... Uh, it's wrong to think about something of this world, but if that's all you think about and you never really get your mind centering and focusing on the kingdom of God in Christ, then you got a problem. Do I wrestle with this? Of course I do. We all do. But it is something I want you to think about this morning and something that you may, as it were, need to take up slack. Second question. A person is thinking about treasure on laying up treasures on earth when he takes more pains to get earth than heaven. Now go with me to John. Let's go to the book of John. Chapter 6 and verse 22. On the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea, this is John 6, 22, other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there 
and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes. Labor, go to pains, take great pains. Don't labor for the pain, for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has said, can he be more clear? Could it be more to the point? He's talking about taking great pains to get things on earth, but expending no energy on heaven. How many of us, I just have to ask it directly, how many of us will hunt for the world and only wish for heaven? How many of us are like Cain in Genesis chapter 4? We're not really concerned about spiritual sacrifices. We're concerned about looking good in the eyes of the world. Okay, let's get real practical again. If someone came to you today and said, I, have be, I can prove what I'm about to tell you is true. I'm telling you that in your backyard of your house where you live, there is a million dollars buried. What would your reaction be? When you went home today, <laughs> would you be content to take a few, uh, would you be content with just a few shovelfuls of dirt and say, oh, that's too much trouble. I don't care. He said he can prove it. He's, he's, he's got the technology to prove that it's really there. I don't have time for this. It's crazy. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to look like, a, like something really, really unwise. Is that what you do? No, you do what I do. You dig all the way to China. <laughs> You'd leave no stone unturned. And yet God has given us a gold mine right here of much more value than a million dollars in your backyard. Of far more value. And yet how many of us cast it aside from time to time? I ain't got time. I'm in a hurry. I don't need, I th how many of us have never really dug down deeply into the word, the gold mine, and pulled out the treasure that is life changing? Uh, maybe you did it once, maybe you did it twice. But listen, the meter's running. Time's going to run out. And I'm saying to you, get busy digging in the gold mine of God's Word and laying up treasures in heaven. Thirdly, we lay up treasures on earth when all we talk about is about the world. You say, what does speech have to do with treasure? I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Matthew 12, verse 34. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It was an old Puritan, Thomas Watson, who said, words are the looking glass of our heart. 
You can tell where a man or a woman or a child is when what they think about by what comes out of their mouths. It's just the easiest proof in the world. What comes out of your mouth? What do you talk about the most? It's a, it's a very shocking but very honest revelation of what's in your heart. You know the name John Bunyan. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Now, if you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, you need to go to jail, not collect $200. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon read Pilgrim's Progress a hundred times. I've read it twice. John Bunyan was a poor a uh, man who worked on shoes. He wasn't very educated, but he was a genius. He was converted, was a, had a real conversion and began to write, but before long he found himself in prison. I've been to the prison where he was a little bitty room over a river in a little bit village called Bedford, north of London. I've been in that room where he spent 12 years. And it was very difficult for him because they were very poor and he had six children and his little girl, his last little girl was blind. And his wife was starving to death. They all were. It was so hard for Bunyan. Do you know what uh, the prison officials that came to him and said? If you'll quit preaching all that stuff about Jesus and all that stuff you preach, we'll set you free. You know what Bunyan said to them? <laughs> you set me free and before the sun goes down today, I'll be preaching. He had, a, uh, he had something in his heart that was an inheritance that was incorruptible, undefiled, that didn't fade away, and that he couldn't help but talk about. So what do you talk about? What do you talk about with the people in this room? I'm not t asking you to become a preacher. I'm not talking to you about saying every time you get into a conversation you quote the Bible. No, I'm not talking about being unbalanced or strange or weird or anything like that. But I am saying, what do you talk about the majority of the time? Is it always something about this world? Is it always, you ought to see this new car, this Range Rover, boy, is it special. Whoa, it's so cool. <laughs> um, my grandchildren are just the greatest. I got 22 of them. I can tell you about that. <laughs> Um, you know, we try and try. I just cannot seem to get the right clothes there. I, our, our furniture is old and I just want to change it. That party was a dud. Uh, over and over again, nothing but worldly conversation. Again, I'm not saying you don't talk about those kind of things, but I'm just saying, is that what you talk about all the time? What I'm saying and what Jesus is saying is that sooner or later, especially with your friends and fellow church members and fellow Christians in this town, sooner or later you're gonna, something's going to come out and you're going to talk about Jesus and the wonderful things of the gospel and how the Holy Spirit comforts you and how you heard a sermon last week that has just touched your heart and you've been thinking about it all week and you want to live like it. You know what I mean. I'm just saying sooner or later, if you're really laying up treasures in heaven and you're really one of his, it is going to come out. It isn't always going to be about the world. Fourthly, a person is laying up treasures in heaven 
when that person willingly parts with spiritual things for earthly things. Think about Esau. Uh, and, and as he's mentioned in chapter 12 of, uh, verse 16 of chapter 12 of Hebrews, he sold his birthright for a mess of pottage. In other words, he sold his birthright for something to eat. His future, the most important thing he had, for something of carnal satisfaction. Think about Paul's words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, when he says, Demas, if you read the book, some of the early books, you'll see Paul mention some of the people that accompany him and how they help him. And this is one of my special helpers, and one of them is named Demas, D-E-M-A-S. But keep reading, because you'll eventually get to 2 Timothy 4.10, and this is what Paul says. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas faded. Stuff got to him. And he gave up on Christianity. How about Judas? You know that one, of course. He gave away a great piece of, a great place of spiritual privilege for 30 coins. Are you kidding me? How many of us will trade, will trade the pearl of great price, Christ, for money? And all of which is going to be worthless eventually. I pray that the Lord would open your eyes as he will open mine. And fifthly, a man or person or woman or a child who's laying up treasures on, on earth will, will be involved so overloaded with worldly business that they have no time for heavenly things. I want, to show, I want you to see a textbook example of this. Turn with me to Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24, beginning at verse 24. And this is a man named Felix. He is so 21st century, it's amazing, and he didn't know it. <laughs> Acts chapter 24, verse 24. After some days, Felix came, he was the ruler, came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned, and he's talking about Paul, as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, in other words, the whole counsel of God, Felix was alarmed and said, get out of here. I don't want to hear that anymore. He says, go away for the present. When I, when I get settled down, I'll call for you. When I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. Look at the next verse. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. Huh, what's he really after? So he sent for him and conversed, sent for him and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. After desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. He was working Paul, trying to figure out a way for Paul to get some money to give to him. That's all he cared about. As I say, so 21st century, amazingly. How many people lose their souls because they're so wrapped up in things of the world? And I don't have time to read them, but you can look up Luke chapter 9, verses 59 to 62, and Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 21. Those specifically talk about what I just said. Being so wrapped up after chasing those things 
that eventually they lose perspective and really lose the whole thing. They are so involved in making a living and think, I got to support my family. Of course you do. But that's all you think about, all you talk about, all you care about. All you uh, so in, so involved in trying to figure out how you're going to make more. I'm not saying you shouldn't be try to be diligent. And the scripture teaches that, of course. But if that consumes you and you have pushed the Lord aside and pushed scripture aside and pushed church aside and pushed God aside, you're on the wrong track. If your excuse for neglecting your soul is involvement with the world and you don't have time for it anymore, mark it down. God is displeased with you. Oh, well, we're busy. Uh, we're going to get back to church. Uh, we've just been a lot of extra pressure on us. And uh, we're going to be out of town for three weeks, but we'll get back there. We'll come. Don't forget about us. How many times do you think I've heard that kind of stuff in 50 years in the ministry? <laughs> I could write a book about it. I could write a book entitled Excuses People Make for Staying Away from Church. <laughs> um, God doesn't say if there's a lot of pressure and you, and you know, that he doesn't say that's okay. I'll, I'll understand you just have a special kind of job requires a lot of time away from. No, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. He doesn't say, I know your job's different. I know your family's different. I know your children. I know. I get it. No. No excuse, is, no excuse works for you to back away from giving your best of all you can give to the one that you're going to face. As I said a while ago, the meter's running. It's not that long before we're all going to be there. If our pursuits of things in this world, and it doesn't matter, I can name 10 of them, come before Christ, it's because we love this present world more and believe it has more to offer than God has to offer. And we're not laying up treasures in heaven, we're laying up treasures on earth. And let me tell you something, they're all going to burn up. Uh, everybody knows, of, I'm going to mention uh, you know what McDonald's is. Everybody in here is eating at McDonald's. Sometimes when you're in Europe, you're so glad to see McDonald's. <laughs> um, Ray Kroc is a name that you might not know or you, may, you might know. Ray Kroc didn't found McDonald's, but Ray Kroc brought the, bought the franchise very early and built it into a huge, gigantic empire that we all know about. Ray Kroc was raised as a Lutheran. When Ray Kroc was a young man just starting to build the McDonald's empire, he had a motto that he followed. He said, every Monday morning, he said, my motto in life is God, family, and job. But every Monday morning, this is when it really began to grow. He said, every Monday morning, I'll reverse the order. And the most important things in my life that week are job, family, and God. Ray Kroc refuted all his Lutheran upbringing and became an atheist. You see what chasing after that kind of thing just relentlessly does? Very quickly, here's some lessons we can learn. We all need to do some self-examination. I'm just saying 
what I'm saying to you this morning is in light of the text, this is important. You need to check yourself out. You need to examine the checkbook of life and see where things are going. Are you banking in heaven or are you banking on earth? I can't say it any more simply than that. Are you banking in heaven or are you banking on earth? Of course, it's not possible to be perfect, but where's the preponderance of your attitudes, life, actions, thoughts, money, words, everything? Secondly, we need to understand our responsibility to set consciously priorities lest we squander opportunities. You, need, you just need to think about it. You need to think about what you've been doing and what you've been prioritizing. You need to sit, I'm gonna prove it to you in a minute. You need to sit down and think about what has your life been like? What is it like right now? What counts the most? What do you spend your most time thinking about? What do you spend your most time concentrating on? Is it things that are gonna just someday, as I say, be burned up? Maybe you just need to make a, a decision that you need to spend more time. How about time in prayer? You say, do you, do you pray before you leave the house in the morning? I've learned I have to pray before I get out of bed. Because if I don't, I get in such a hurry that I'll forget. Do you just, have you just gotten real cold about having your family worship? This isn't in my sermon, but I'm going to tell it to you right now anyway. It's going to take about three or four minutes, but it was life-changing for me. Um, one night when I was 10 years old, I heard my parents having a fight. I'd never heard anything like that before. It's the middle of the night. And I heard the word divorce. I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew it wasn't good. And I figured out the next day it meant that they might split up. I was terrified. I was 10 years old. I had a brother that was five years old. They didn't speak to each other that day. They didn't speak to each other the next day. And they didn't speak to each other on the third day. Well, I couldn't take it anymore. I grabbed them both by the arms and took them over to a sofa and put my arms around them and pulled them like this, and I said, please love each other. And they didn't say anything. No, no talk that day either. On the fifth day, it's hard to tell you this, my father came to the breakfast table, and this is what he said. I know things aren't right around here, and most of it's my fault. But we were going to make some changes. And I remember thinking when he said that, it ran through my 10-year-old mind, I bet you are. Yeah, sure. And this is what he said, we're going to make some changes. We're going to start reading the Bible and praying together as a family every morning at this breakfast table. I thought, well... I guess we'll see. And you know what? He meant it. And we never, ever, as long as I was in that home until I went to college, did a breakfast ever go by that I was home that we didn't have family worship where he read the scripture. And we prayed. And I'm here to tell you that a sweetness came into the home 
and into that marriage. And I never heard a fight like that ever again. It changed everything. Okay, years go by. I'm in the ministry. I'm living in Memphis. And I got invited to go back to my hometown in Brandon, Mississippi and preach. So I stayed with my parents. They were in their late 70s. And one morning I slept a little bit late. I got up and I looked down the hallway at the breakfast table and he was holding her hand and reading the scripture still. And then I listened to him pray. He didn't know I could hear it. Now I'm telling you, that wasn't, I didn't, the Holy Spirit just put that in my heart to tell you that story. But I want to tell you something. If you got some problems in your marriage, that's the first place you need to start. And if you're the head of the house, you're the man that needs to take the ball and, and get it going. Don't make an excuse and say you don't have time. Make sure you get this right. It is life changing. It changed. I've told that story in a lot of places, and I cannot tell you how many responses I've gotten back, not just weeks, but years later, from people that told me that changed everything. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or my father on the back. I'm just saying that is what I mean by putting your priorities right. Well, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm going I'm to just finish with one illustration and I'm going to leave out the rest of the sermon. Uh, I want to, I, I hate to leave it all out, but we, I, I don't like long sermons. <laughs> never have, never will. Um, I'm going to give you a story also that I think you'll remember. And then I'm going to make a, use it to make a just to ask you to do something. You've all heard of the Nobel Prize, but now I'm going to tell you something that's going to really surprise you. Alfred Nobel was a Swedish chemist who invented dynamite. One morning, Alfred Nobel woke up and the first thing he did was what a lot of people used to do. I don't do it anymore because I look on the internet, but read the paper. And he couldn't believe what he read. He was reading his own obituary. He was alive. How could he be reading his own obituary? Uh, the obituary said, Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite, who died yesterday, devised a way for more people to be killed in a war than ever before, and he died a very rich man. What was going on? What was going on was the, the newspaper reporter had bungled the epitaph and Nobel's brother had died. It wasn't Nobel himself, it, uh, the, that Alfred, it was his brother. But it shook him up tremendously to read that what was written about him was that he was the man who invented something that killed more people in a war than anything else. And that he was very rich. And he decided he would change his life. Now, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but what he decided to do was take all that money and use it to create a prize to be given worldwide. And you know about the Nobel Prize. That's kind of wandered to the left in the last 15 or 20 years. But uh, it's been a great thing for a long, long time. My, my whole point in telling you that story is to, tell you, is to ask you this. Suppose you were to wake up tomorrow 
and I don't know what the name of the newspaper here is, but they were the newspaper had your obituary in it tomorrow. Is there anything in it you'd like to change? Suppose you did know you were, you were about to die. Would you look back on your life and say, I'm satisfied. I'm happy with it. Well, I'm going to tell you, I don't think any of us, I think we ought to, if, if we could have that opportunity to, to know that, <laughs> that we, we, we say, like, you know what, I, I think if I know I'm, I think I'd like to change my obituary. I think I'd like to say he gave it his best. Uh, this week at the General Assembly, I got to make a little talk uh, real quickly, I'll close, about um, what it was like in the first General Assembly in the early days of the PCA. And I talked about some, several things, but one man I talked about was a man named Don Patterson. Don Patterson used to be the pastor at First President Jackson. He had a lot of influence in forming the PCA, a lot of influence on me. I remember one time he, he and I were doing a conference together in Alexandria, Louisiana. We were driving to Alexandria, just the two of us, and we talked all the way down, all the way back. I remember something Don Patterson told me that I will never forget. He said, I want to bust it wide open for Jesus until I breathe my very last breath. What? That stuck in my mind? And I've never forgotten it. Suppose you could read your obituary. What do you want it to say? Well, listen, I'm reminding you, you've still got time. You've still got time to change your priorities and do some things that we've talked about today and lay up treasures in heaven. Because let me ask you something. Have you ever seen a U-Haul truck at the end of a funeral procession? No, and you never will. You can't take it with you. But those treasures in heaven will be waiting for you when you get there, and what a glorious thing that's going to be. I have wandered all over the place in this sermon. It is not in the least what I had written down, but I think it's what the Lord wanted me to say to you, and I don't know why, but we'll just leave that up to Him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I, I do pray that if I've said what you wanted me to say, that it wouldn't be forgotten. Uh, pray for these people as they receive a new pastor. I pray for um, warmth and uh, just acceptance and for, for him to bring the scripture. And I pray for all of us then as a result uh, in the days that we've got left on earth to lay up treasures in heaven that won't fade away and that will be glorious one day. Uh, pray it all in his name. Amen.